welcome everybody. Now it's time to say Privyet to our Russian-American friend, Natasha Goral. So welcome to Natasha Goral. She is a first-generation Russian-American. And um, please tell us a little bit about yourself. I was born in Massachusetts, but I was raised in the 18th century in Eastern Europe. My mother was born in Vitebs Oblast, Belarus, an ethnic Russian, uh, family prisoners of Stalin. My father was born in Newark, New Jersey, which he at the time called the armpit of America. His parents were first generation from what is modern day Ukraine, but was then Austria-Hungary, uh, Carpathia, as is still known. I've always considered myself the embodiment of Slavic ethnic strife, born to hate myself. And with the Cold War being persistent throughout my life, even though some folks think it stalled for a while, it never really did. And we're where we are now with Putin's invasion of Ukraine. So I'm happy to talk about my complex identity and what's pretty simple about it. Well, all right, thank you very much. Um... So the first question is, what is the most rewarding thing about being a first-generation American? This sounds contrived, and it's not. It truly is being able to work toward empathy and understanding the struggle of others, the collective capital O others. Folks who have been oppressed by systems of power, folks who continue to be oppressed by systems of power. We're all the same. Everybody who comes into any homogenous community, country, situation, and is treated differently, even if self-professed progressives, liberals, seem to welcome them with open arms, there's always an underlying current of something that you don't belong. And I've never belonged. I don't belong now, but that's not the problem. The problem is why people are mistreated for not belonging. Um, wow, that's that's a, a heavy that's a that's a heavy uh, construct. Because uh, I'm moving on to a a, a very uh, crazy question, but that's um, that's a lot to consider. That. So you definitely feel that sense of not belonging. Always, but I also embrace it. It's what makes me who I am. I'm an other, a lowercase other, a weirdo, a freak, but I relate to and empathize with the capital O others. Okay, so if you're, if you're a weirdo, because I definitely was a weirdo like this too, what was the weirdest food you ever had to bring to school or offer anybody? Fortunately, I didn't have to bring it to school because both my parents worked around the clock, so I took advantage of our liberal communities, our progressive communities, tax-funded luncheons, so I didn't eat the same stuff other kids didn't eat, and that was one of the ways I could conform by throwing the mashed potato balls against the wall and seeing how long they stick. But the one food that I absolutely can 
never embrace. Even though I'm a pescatarian and voracious pescatarian and I like weird things in general, is the Russian version or the Eastern European version of aspic. So we're talking fish heads, fish parts, in clear gelatin. In Russian, it's called holojits. Um, that may sound interesting. I'm sure you could put it on a farm to table menu with like a little pronouncer and you instruct your glamorous wait staff to say holojits. Sounds so good, right? No way. So I fortunately never had it in a lunchbox or in a lunch bag at camp. I was spared that, you know, I got to make when there wasn't an option for eating the collective lunch experience, a peanut butter sandwich back when there were apparently no peanut allergies. I don't know what when happened. When did the peanut become this? I, I don't know. Terror. I don't know. Holojits. I think I intentionally never really spoke about the holojits. Sounds better than aspic, for sure. But it's the same thing. It's fish heads, fish tails, fish parts in clear gelatin. No, thank you. <laughs> so tell us a funny or wise expression that your uh, parents use that just doesn't really translate well into English. Oh my goodness, so many. But my favorite one is Zvenom we radaim, Zvenom we živom, Zvenom pocharonim spianum pochum. So I cannot sing. I am very sorry for that. You've all been subjected to a terrible experience. I thought it was delightful. Well, thank you. You're very kind. It must be that first gen connection, that forgiveness, that, that deep, that deep forgiveness that comes across cultures and brings us together. So this literally translates as with wine, we are born with wine. We live with wine. We shall die our funeral overseen by a drunken priest. I've added a few extraneous words maybe because for the one time in Russian, it sounds more simple in Russian than the English translation, but it kind of doesn't make sense if you don't add the extraneous words. My mom sadly has not had a drink in a couple years because she's in a nursing home, but we won't go there. Um, but when she did like to indulge specifically in cognac, French cognac, and unlike me, a lightweight, I'm not a lightweight, one, two cognacs in, this would come out every time. So often with her beautiful alto soprano, I, I think that's what it is, voice. I mean, she's classically trained, amazing singer. I inherited none of that. But she's so good that my husband, Mike, who doesn't speak a word of Russian, can almost imitate it just by sound. So there you go. With wine, we're born. With wine, we live. With wine, a drunken priest will bury us. What's better than that? That's perfect. <laughs> How 
How much do you identify with your parents' country? Country is a tough word. I don't identify with countries. I don't identify with the United States where I was born. I'm not ungrateful to have been born in the United States. I do identify with the culture. It's inevitable. I think that's the best word, inevitable. It's not that I feel an obligation. It's not that I feel a desire. I was raised in a way where the culture was just intrinsic to my being. I knew what I look like. I know how I sound. I know how I behave. And I know how that is rooted in ancestral lands. No country identification. Cultural, 100%. Okay, interesting. Um, what would you do differently if you raised a child in another country? Wow, that's tough because I feel like I am raising my son in another country. I feel in many ways I wasn't raised in these United States. I had the benefit of being raised in the warm bosom of Western Massachusetts. So I, po I suppose it wasn't as terrible as most other places in these United States. But still, it was a time when McCarthyism and again, the enduring Cold War, which never ended and rages hard right now, underlied everything that was so-called progressive and liberal. My son has a different experience and I'm grateful for that, but I'm also really disheartened that the world is still extremely polarized and stereotypes are maybe in some ways magnified because people have more information, and I use that term sarcastically, about different cultures, meaning they can use different terms to prescribe to different people. But he's been more fortunate than me that he's traveled overseas already at age 12. I did not have that experience, and he loves world cultures and he wants to live in any global city and he wants to explore any indigenous population so really if we moved somewhere else he would be raising me because he's the one who studies and retains information and the second thing is most important i can study i'm pretty good at that retaining information not so much and he truly embraces other cultures and articulates details about them, not just facts, not just information that make it resonate and make it so interesting to outsiders that you feel like you're there, even if you haven't been there yet. So I'm eager for that experience and I'm hopeful that our lives will take us there but I'm not gonna be the one leading anyone into any other country. I'm going to be led, and I'm fine with that. I've met your son, and I can see this. Um, 
So this is kind of a weird question, and I, I think I wrote it because I experienced this, but I'm not sure if every first-generation kid did. Um, but tell us about a time that you, quote-unquote, rescued your parents from an American-style faux pas. This is the question that intrigued me the most because one of my defense mechanisms for feeling less non-American as a kid was to embrace being non-American. That doesn't mean I embraced being Russian, Ukrainian, Polish, and the other trace ancestries I've since learned about. It meant to embrace being as different and strange and weird as possible where my parents seemed more concerned that I was doing that. I think it's because I grew up in a place where we were not even a minority ethnic population at the time and there wasn't anyone to identify with. And this is where I started exploring the concept of otherness. So if anything, I think that it was the other way around where my parents would rein me in sometimes, be like, Natasha, remember, you were born here. You have all these privileges. And of course, when you hear something like that, and those aren't their exact words. I, that's how it resonates with me. Um, I know I'm a person of privilege comparatively, but I've also always felt like an outsider, and I guess I've always tried to overcompensate for that, and my parents were the ones trying to make me American. They didn't do it in any way, like put me in an American flag costume. Ooh, there is one thing that I completely forgot about until this moment. In 1976, I was probably about to turn five years old because I think it was before my birthday. And it was the Centennial Day Parade in the town where I was raised. I was born in Springfield, Massachusetts, which is a very diverse city and I grew up primarily because of the public schools in a town called Wilbraham, which is a little bit more white Anglo-Saxon Protestant than Springfield, completely so, when I was a kid. I dressed up for this parade. No, I didn't dress up for this parade. I was dressed up for this parade. I didn't understand why. I was dressed as a pilgrim. Why was I dressed as a pilgrim? I have absolutely no connection whatsoever to that heritage. And yet I was walking in a parade and I've since been in other parades dressed in costume, but I like those because they were truly costumes. This felt different. This was, why am I dressed as a pilgrim? What was that all about? It's interesting that I didn't think of that when I first read your question, but now it is such a terrifying detail. Something I'm gonna have to unpack. Absolutely, yeah. 
the melting pot of, of pilgrims, pilgrim costumes. If only we could melt them in a pot. <laughs> um, okay, so the next two questions, they could be combined because I've noticed with a lot of first-generation kids, they are combined. So the next two questions are, when were your parents the proudest of you? And then when uh, were you, pardon me, the next question is, when are you uh, the proudest of being a first-generation kid? And then when your parents the proudest of you? So they can be connected or they don't have to be connected. There are first generation Americans whose parents are proud of them. That's so funny that you I, say that because seriously, no one has an answer for that. No one ever says their parents were proud of them. <laughs> I would love to meet this either sociopath or yep. uh, super being. <laughs> because I looked at that question and I thought there must be something. There are trivial things for sure, but not really. Like, what can you possibly do? Yep. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. Uh, seriously, that's so funny that you say that because everybody else is like, yeah, no, I have no memories of my parents being proud of me, but I love that you just like, how could anybody's, no. doesn't happen. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's, that's well, fair. And in fact, when my son was very young and I would say things in front of my mother praising my son, she pulled me aside and she said, Natasha, it's never good to say anything positive to your own child about them. And I recoiled as a mother, a new mother, and thought, why would you not do that incessantly? And then I recalled that I had never experienced that. I had been applauded. I had won awards. There were many external factors that should have instilled some kind of confidence as a child, but they didn't resonate because they didn't come from my parents. Yeah. That seems to be a common theme. So I didn't answer the second part of your question. All right, but yeah, you're proud, Nessa, but do you have pride in something you've done? Well, I think overcoming the extreme self-deprecation enough to attain any achievements in Western and American societies, pretty big. Coming from that where you should be constantly groveling while dragging your body through hot coals only to look up at your reflection in a pool of dirty water to think of how unworthy you are. That's pretty good. Hell yeah. yeah. Very good. Yeah. I think, I think I'm winning. You are winning. Absolutely. Yeah. First gen winning. Exactly. Exactly. First gen winning. It's a little different than the other people's. <laughs> it is. 
but we understand each other. Um, now, on that tangent, though, if you could have been born to American parents, would you choose it? Fuck no. Also, something all of us have said, none of us would choose that. <laughs> but why? Whew. I have many friends. In fact, probably most of my close friends were born in these United States. But they were not ever, nor shall they ever be normal people, meaning normative people. And even for them, even as folks who are open to otherness, there are obstacles to being friends with one of us, whatever we are. And I appreciate that I don't have those obstacles with other people. I can meet somebody who seems to anyone else who's a passerby the strangest person in the world. Like, no. It's the woman who was born here to generational wealth, who feels so privileged and entitled that to me is strange in that she can never be happy. I'm not unhappy. I know I seem that way all of the time, but I'm not. So before we get to the final question, um, is there anything that I uh, didn't ask you that you would like to add? Any, any details that you would like to add yourself? Hmm. I think that it's great when people take their kids out of comfort zones. And I think so few Americans, sorry for that, not sorry, <laughs> do that. I think that most people in these United States are so worried about some comfort for their children, some social prescription. I'm not going to go dark. I'm not going to cite statistics. This country is not a utopia. This country has more and more problems with every generation that's unrelated to what's reported in the media it has more and more to do with how folks want to be polarized and want to identify with false identities mythological identities let your child own the world whether you have no economic or social resources, let them explore what they want to explore. Don't push them toward whatever your community, small or large, prescribes for them, whether it's sports or entertainment. Let them find their way. Embrace that celebrate it if they're the only one who does it 
support them. Don't criticize them for not conforming. Um, and finally, um, it's just something I've noticed. I think that a lot of us first-generation kids do a really kick-ass imitation of our parents, like advice they give, or whether it's an accent, whether it's not an accent, but a lot of us do imitations of our parents. Do you have one to offer us tonight? How much time do you have? <laughs> so this is a tough one because I don't want this to sound like I'm criticizing either one of my parents. And I'm not. No, I know. You love your parents. We know sure. this. So my dad, to be clear, was not born overseas. He was born in Newark, New Jersey. Again, he called it the armpit of America. But his nugget of repeated advice to me is very first gen. Natasha, one thing you got to remember. If you can accept that life is 99% disappointment, then maybe you can be happy. For another conversation about driving advice, I have better gems, I mean gems, but that's really true. You know, it seemed so depressing as a kid. It really did. It really did. 99% of life is a disappointment. It sounds like bad comedy it's not i mean it's true it's true we are so conditioned in this american society of ours to always be sated always be celebrated always be happy always to enjoy things always to consume and like things no most things suck you have to dig deep to the real one percent I'm not talking about the wealthiest people in the world. The real 1% is what matters. Except the 99% as garbage. And the 1% might bring you joy. With my mom, my goodness, so many, so many things. It's hard with her. It's a lot harder with her. She... Interestingly, despite always making me feel like I should be hard on myself, would tell me not to be. And I never really understood that. Like, how could somebody who never celebrated my, what were in other contexts, myriad accomplishments as anything, because I think it came down to that's why she and my father connected because she was also of that belief. You have to accept that 99% is never going to make you happy. So she would always tell me to love myself. And I don't, I don't hate myself. I love myself. Love yourself. Everybody needs to love themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I love you for coming here to talk <laughs> and tell us our, uh, your story. And I'm really glad that you're doing that because everybody needs to hear our stories. You know, I think it's important that you're saying this. Thank you so much.
Thank you for letting me get maudlin. Listen, we all got to get maudlin sometimes. And, you know, we, you got the Russian and the Finn together. We, we uh, like to drink, we like to sing, and we like to get a little bit maudlin sometimes. Well, you know, with wine we're born, with <laughs> wine we live, and we better get that drunken priest here. <laughs> Just in case. You know, insurance is important. <laughs>